Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome back to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson and... Emily Pennack, Office Angels in Hull. Emily, how the devil are you? I'm really good, thanks, Martin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. You visit our office quite often. Um, you bring us cakes and gifts. We always have good banter, and I've been trying to maybe get you onto a hubcast for a while, and you finally agreed. I did indeed. There is a bit more to us than cakes. <laughs> As we'll come to. Only a little bit. As we'll come to. So, Emily, thank you for joining me. I always love it when we've got a guest uh, in the podcast room. And um, as you as you know, because you've listened to some of our podcasts, me, Spencer and Dave usually are, are on them and we're driving T2 content in all of the areas that we focus on. Um, so it's always nice to get an external person in because it just brings the outside in and it allows me to ask some questions and, you know, put some context behind some of these topics. So today's focus is going to be on hiring great talent. It's one of our key focus areas. As you know, Emily, we, we we advise and guide clients a lot on the different facets of hiring great talent from sourcing to interviewing to selection and onboarding. Um, but one of the questions we get quite a lot from our customers around is around recruitment partners. So I thought, what better way to drive some insight than to get a branch manager of the whole branch, Office Angels, in because uh, you you know, you're obviously a recruitment partner to many organisations. You're part of the ADECO group, is that right? We are, yeah. The ADECO group's the biggest global recruiter. Um, we're part of that. Office Angels has got 56 offices in the UK, and we've been in Hull for 13 years. I set up the branch 13 years ago, having worked for the company for 16 years. Wow, wow. So nobody better to get in and, and, and have an open, transparent conversation. And I bet you over, the, over those years, Emily, you've seen a real transition in recruitment and the way recruitment partners operate. We're going to talk about it, but the emergence of the digital world and social media and the the fact that potentially organizations have many different vehicles and platforms to be able to go and recruit these days. So one of the biggest questions, the elephant in the room, is why still use a recruiter, right? I'm Absolutely. Gonna, I'm going to be honest, you're smiling at me, but these are the questions that need to be answered. So who better to, to have in, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. It's entirely... Uh, natural, as always, in a T2 Hubcast, but you're up for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Good stuff. So I guess let's start with uh, my first point on this, recruitment. Um, why is it important for organisations? And, you know, what do you see in the organisations who get it right and tend to have more longevity with their recruits, they'll bring people into it properly and maintain them, versus the ones who go through a lot of churn? So let me kick off. Recruitment's important. It's the foundation for an organizational success. You get the right people in. Absolutely. You give them the right onboarding, the right development. You nurture them and they will stay long. I mean, (laughs) they'll stay, won't stay forever, but they'll stay for longer than the average employee will stay. and And it will bear fruit for you and your organization. So I believe it's imperative as the foundation for business success. Would you agree? Absolutely. Without your people, you haven't got a business and your person is the most important thing that's there as a good employee. Um, and the the onboarding, you know, going back to the question about the churn and people who don't stay and go, generally that is an, an onboarding topic with 
the client that we're working with. Are they looking after their people? Are they offering them the benefits? Are they coaching them? Do they want to be there? Is it a happy place to work? And those people that do that spot on and look after those people, we're going back and we're visiting these people five, 10 years later in some cases with anniversary gifts. They've been promoted. They've started as office juniors. They're office managers. They started as estimators. They're now lead project managers. And we've watched them go through their career we did the first bit. We got the right person to the right place. We don't put a square peg in a round hole. It's a person fit. But then the client's done the rest and they've looked after them and they want to be there. So onboarding's important. <clears throat> Training and development's important. Um, clear career path and, and benefits uh, you know, of the organization is important. So it's whole. You've got to think of what you own as an organization in terms of your responsibility for that employee once they're set through the door. Whereas do you see the ones who tend to experience churn neglect a lot of that? And it's sort of, you're in on day one, there's your workplace, there's your PC, there's your phone, off you go type yeah, thing. Yeah, and absolutely. In some cases, there's not even that. You I mean, you hear some hideous onboarding um, stories about people going and they haven't even got a PC. They haven't even been given the number to ring IT and have an email. There isn't a welcome card on the desk. There isn't a buddy to take them for their first coffee. And it's those first impressions from that absolute minute. And generally, they're the people that are ringing and saying, this person isn't right, but this person isn't hasn't been made to feel welcome or even given an opportunity. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question on that. First probing question, Emily, because it's all about honesty and transparency. Um Yes, in many cases that you're saying, uh, that like you're saying now, the company hasn't done a great job in giving that person a fighting chance of thriving in the role for multiple reasons like we've just explained. But as a recruiter, as an experienced recruiter, is it the case that sometimes we don't get it right? It isn't the right person for whatever reason. Absolutely. We meet every single person before we place them in a role. Going back to your question about how things have changed over the last 10 years in recruitment, a lot of people now will go for an interview with a client and they've never even met their recruiter. Their CV has been put online, the recruiters rung them up, they've seen the keyword, that's their job title, this is their job, let's send them. Um, there's some quick fee for me and I can do that. Recruitment is not about pulling a CV off the internet. It's about meeting that person. And yes, we call it a candidate interview. We meet these people in our offices. We have the half hour conversation with them. Yes, it's probing questions. Yes, it's finding out what they want to do, but it's finding out from them what's important. For some people, it's about being able to leave at half past three to pick the child up. For others, it's about being near home so they can walk the dog. For someone else, it's about some new workmates and a social life. For others, they couldn't think of anything worse than having to make new friends. So it's matching that person with that business and likewise we will only work with a business if they allow us to go meet with them and talk from the heart of what they need yes and it's an it's a culture fit it's a team fit it's not an age thing it's not a you're cool and you're not cool and you've got tattoos and you haven't it's about I can really see this person here. I've been to meeting with Martin and his team and they're great. They all have a bit of banter and they work hard and he looks after his team. They go home early and he, he, he buys them the coffees on a Friday. I know that that person I interviewed in branch would just fit in and it's just, it's a gut feeling, it's a people feeling and that's how you have to be. Yeah, and, and so, and despite all of that, I guess the, the fundamental is that it's still a, a tiny leap of faith. Even with all that vetting and with all that um, personality match and matching to values and culture, and it's still, you've got to place that person and there's still a, a multitude of things that have to happen, fingers crossed, that that person works out from the support from the company to the onboarding to the person gets self-fulfillment from actually doing the role, X, Y, and Z, personal circumstance ties in, you know, 
even things like you know the the the, the daily commute. There's parking on site. I can do my school run on a Friday. Whatever it is, it all has to come together as a jigsaw piece for them to, for him to stick. So yes, in most cases, you'd like to think that you've done all you can as the recruiter to stand the best possible chance of that candidate thriving but it is a tiny leap of faith and things don't work out sometimes. But you've probably got percentages and stats on on how many of the candidates you place stay beyond six months, for example, I would have thought. As a recruiter, we want people to stay long term. We want to be visiting them on their one year, two year anniversaries plus, 10 years anniversaries. That's more the exception than the rule just because of the way people move well let me jump in let me jump in there emily we've done some research and data like uh, about five to seven years ago the average tenure in an organization in the uk was seven years people would swap jobs every seven years what we've seen recently in the last 18 months is when that data has been rerun it is halved so People are moving jobs now on average every three and a half years. Now, that might seem incredibly small in terms of tenure. And for organizations who are going to potentially pay a fee and put loads of effort and training and development and investment into an employee, they might be thinking, what the hell if they're going to leave in three and a half, four years? But employees have more choice than ever. And what I would say is that's the average. But if you want to keep somebody seven, eight, nine, ten years, right, then you've got to go above and beyond to be able to do that because they have more choice than ever. And even if people do stay, the way my philosophy on it, if a candidate's going to stay three or four years, then I want the best three or four years out of them to drive my business forward. And therefore, it's still worth all of the attention, all of the effort, all of the nurturing. So jobs for life don't always exist anymore. It's not like 30 years ago where you joined up as an apprentice and you stayed until you retired. It's just not the way of the world. Would you agree? Absolutely. And as you say, people have more choice and people move for different things. When we set up in Hull 10, 12 years ago, people were moving for perhaps a £500 pay rise. People will now move to be five minutes near a home or the free parking space or the four o'clock finish. Or the flexible working hours or working from home on, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and they're the key things now and people do have that choice. And if people are going for an interview for a job and there's potentially going to be a job offer there, it's such a candidate-driven market. 10 years ago, they'd have jumped at that. And now it's waiting for the next one. Oh, well, I've got another interview next week and I'll wait for that. Whereas you just didn't hear of that, you know, back in 2009 when all the caravan companies and everything were folding in Hull, it, people were out of work. The majority of our people now looking for work are in work, whereas that's an absolute shift because the candidate is is the key. There isn't enough candidates for the jobs that are in the market. The candidates have got the choice. So this brings me nicely onto my next point. You've just transitioned nicely. I promise you it's not planned, but we've worked. it's worked that way, right? Let me talk about the digital revolution and recruitment. The biggest question I get from customers, and you might get it as well, is why should I use a recruiter, Martin, and pay 20%, 25%, 15%, whatever the margins are for a candidate of the salary? Why should I use a recruiter when I can post a job Applic- uh, you know, a job um, description on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, and I can get an, a, an influx of candidates from around the area, the location, and then I can vet, cherry pick, and interview my own. Organizations do have more platforms and vehicles to reach out into the world and recruit these days. Is the recruiting, this is going to be the thing question, you're smiling, is the recruiting industry dying as a result? Is it that recruiting still plays an incredibly valuable role, but you have to shift and adapt and 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 be agile in this in this in this modern day? Where do you stand on this? 
You can put an advert on LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn a lot in our office and we use it as a local support platform. We have a national platform as well, but we very much use it as where local people recruiting for local jobs. And we get a really good response from our LinkedIn from people following us and and knowing who we are. However, if you put an advert on LinkedIn, you may get 200 applicants, 100 applicants who have just seen your name, your company name and think, oh, yeah, I want to work there. It's easy to click send. We can all press send within seconds. They don't know. Or I want to apply speculatively just yeah. to, you know, to see see where this goes. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I guess what you're saying already is there's no vetting process there. You're going to get an influx. There's absolutely no screening process. And sometimes <clears throat> what we do with clients, we we potentially make what we do look easy. And we'll go see a client and it'll say, I, I need a PA and I need this. We know people on the job market that CVs aren't on the job boards and they're not applying for what's on LinkedIn. Well, let me jump in there because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna big you up a little bit here because and I'm gonna be honest as well. Prior to so uh two years ago, you placed a consultant with me when in my early days of, of T2. I think I was three years in and I desperately needed a, a senior consultant who could come in and deliver what we deliver, which is very difficult to do, right? They've got to stand up in front of leadership teams, you've got to speak in front of lots of people, you've got to know your subject matter inside out and you've got to have credibility. And I was just struggling. Um, and I tried the direct route. And my interpretation of any recruiter was, I'm just going to end up paying money and they're going to fish in the same ponds that I can fish if I had the time. Um, but I was getting nowhere. So um, I don't know how it came about. I can't remember how it came about, but I said, okay, Emily, go for it. See what you can find. Um, and if you can find me somebody, I'm interested. And it took um, it took a few weeks, but um, you ended up um, bringing somebody to an interview which who already was in employment. So this person was already in employment and therefore probably wouldn't have been on the open market and I wouldn't have probably known about. Um, obviously unhappy or looking around or for whatever it was, but, you know, anyway, they came to an interview. I employed this person. It's Dave. Yeah, everybody, Dave. Everybody knows Dave, yeah. you know, from the Hubcast and from T2 Sessions, Dave Pendleton. Um Dave came, he interviewed two or three times with me. I I was blown away. I gave him the job. It's been one of the best recruits I've ever made. Thank and, you. And Absolutely. He, and, he's, and he's still here. He's still thriving. He's in the other room delivering as we speak. He's still eating the cakes. He's still eating the cakes. And um, it changed my mind because it changed my mindset around recruitment because I absolutely hold my hands up. I wouldn't have found Dave. No on my own accord yeah. in my area. He was on my doorstep and I wouldn't yeah. have found him. Yeah. And um, and therefore the value of the fee I paid, what is the value of that two years on? Yeah. It's invaluable, right? So um, it did change my mindset. And therefore I started to open my mind that actually, yes, you do have access and, and in your approaches to people that I potentially can't possibly find. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And a lot of it, Dave may not have wanted to apply directly for reasons of his own, that he was in employment. So we get that. We will have to work very highly confidentially with mm. a lot of people at a lot of times. And people are nervous about applying and their CV being sent around Hull. There are agencies that do send CVs without asking people. I know how I'd feel if yeah. my name was in someone's business in Hull and I wasn't looking for work. It's just it's, it's such a highly privately regarded thing. When you're looking for a job, you don't want people to know your business. So mm. You could get 200 applicants. You could sift through them. You could ask someone in your office to ring them, work through. You could organize 10 interviews yourself, 
five might not turn up, four are absolutely no good, and you're back to square one. And that manpower time, that hourly rate on your time, if you had to put an hourly rate on the time you'd spent doing that, you will find does will equate to a fee that you're paying us. And like you say, there's still two, three years aftercare with us. We're always asking how Dave is and how you're doing and, and mm. coming to see you. But we make it look slick and smart and we do it quickly. And if we can't help people, we tell people. Because if you put a square peg in a round hole, it just comes back to bite you. And hull is one degree of separation, not four. So why would you do that? Exactly. And we're talking about hull. But of course, no matter where you're listening to this, if you're in Leeds, it's the same circle. If you're in Manchester, it's the same recruitment tends to be located, you know, per location, yeah. regional, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you can bend very quickly through a lot of candidates and a lot of customers yeah. if you don't get it right. We've got a client at the minute <clears> we're <throat> recruiting for something and we haven't come up with the person that he needs. He really needs someone. And he says, look, I've got an agency from out of town trying to tap into me, but I know you're all tapping into the same pool of people and they won't have met them because they're 60 miles from the candidates that I want. And that's our selling point. We do we do meet absolutely every single person and we know their drivers. They know if they want to pick little Johnny up from school or they need to walk their dog or grandma needs looking after. And that's the three key things that are important. It's not about the £500 salary increase. Mm. So we've established then that recruitment is the foundation for organisational success. You know, with AI and technology and, and the digital revolution, you know, we, we you could argue that we are automating more things than ever in business, but humans and uh, are still imperative to organizational success. And we want to get the right people in who fit our organization, who have the right traits and skill sets to be able to carry out the work we want them to undertake. You've talked about the digital revolution. Yes, there's more platforms and there's more ways to recruit direct these days, but for reasons we've discussed, it there is still a very strong case that good recruitment companies with a good heritage uh, have a have a rigorous process, have a larger database, and have a methodology that allows them to pluck candidates out that we can't possibly still reach via social media platforms. So let me come to three stigmas then with recruitment companies and see, see what your thoughts are on them. You mentioned a couple of them there. The number one sticking point, I think, for recruiters is fees. It is. Emily, however we look at it, they look at the, the level of fees as steep. Most recruiters I've experienced or engaged with or talked with um, do a percentage of salary. Yeah. I think that's the industry Absolutely. standard, isn't it? Yeah. So if I place somebody with you on 50 grand a year, we'll yeah. take a percentage of that, 20% of that salary as the fee. Yeah. Now, let's say it's a 50 grand salary. Yeah. So that's a £10,000 fee, 10 grand Absolutely. for one employee. Yeah. It's frightening, right? And I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. The, the the numbers go, you get me a, a candidate. We do the interview work after you've done your, your screening process. We give them the job. I pay you 10 grand. Wow, that seems a lot for getting somebody through my door, right? That's the that is the stigma, and, and, is, and is it the number is it the number one thing you still face? Number one challenge you face as a recruiter? I, I think just the word recruiter has a stigma yeah. because we're associated uh, as all sorts of things. Um, you know, you're like traffic wardens. You're like, you, you know, you're the tax inspector. You're all these people that get a, a reputation for what they do. Um, but the beauty is for us, after a long time, I've worked for Office Angels for 16 years. One of my members of my team has worked with me for 11 years. We've had the chance to prove that we can do a good job. For example, Dave's still with you three years later. So if somebody is with you and you've had their, their money's worth, shall we say, then you're quite happy with that. We cover Everything's covered by a rebate period for the first two months. And it's not a case of 
off somebody starts on day one and then eight weeks later we ring and say are they all right and run away you know we very much are there week on week for the candidate and the client to make sure it's going well I can count on one hand this year how many people haven't stayed past well you mentioned six months Mm. um past the six months or anyone that we've had to give the rebate to in the eight weeks and sometimes it's personal circumstances sometimes the clients needs change suddenly they may lose a big project and say they were amazing but sorry we've got to let them go or sometimes things happen on a personal level for a candidate so let's just talk about that rebate thing because I, I think it's essential in any recruitment arrangement with your partners but um so you do two months which is 60 days um some recruiters stretch to three but I don't know many that stretch beyond three no is that is that about an industry I would, average I would say that yeah I'd say in in our local town it's around the eight weeks and for us, we're confident enough that the person that we place it will stay. So that kind of stretching eight onwards doesn't worry me because I'm more confident that and I've the, got the right person. Yeah, and and the biggest and you're absolutely right. You know, the, the fee is irrelevant if you've got somebody who's in the organisation on a on a big salary or a decent salary who's significant significantly contributing to your business goals and growth, etc., or whatever it might be. Um, that that is that is not the issue. Um, I guess people's hesitancy goes, and it will have happened in the past where maybe the the candidate you've paid the fee, but the candidate's left on four or five months, and therefore they've paid ten grand. Yeah. They've lost the candidate, and then they lo- they they become very threatened by ever going down that road before. Absolutely. And it might have yeah. just been a bad experience, yeah. but the, the, all they see is last time I spent ten k, yeah. and my candidate left after five months, whatever the reason was. Yeah. And that then puts people off, doesn't it? And that's the biggest thing to try and get around, you know. Do you, you know, would, is there not a case to do a bit more of a staggered uh, rebate? I mean, I know every situation is different, but so, for example, if they leave within month one, we give you the full amount back. If they leave in month two, you get 80%, month three, 60%, month four, and at least extend it slightly, but a staggered amount rather than the full rebate. Is that a model recruiters adopt? Yeah, we have worked with that model before. Obviously, we're we're referring here to £10,000, which is a huge amount of money. Our average placement uh, is not £10,000, so it's on a percentage of the salary and the local town's market average salary isn't 50000 that yes. we specialise in. Yeah. So it's often substantially less. And touch wood, I'm, I'm really touching wood here, they're not leaving after three, four months because it's all the legwork that we've done before that the client hasn't seen because we know this candidate, we know the name of the dog, we know what the drivers are, we know why they last they left their last five companies, we probably know where they worked and why they wanted to leave and know this company ourselves. So, And then we've done the other side, we've been the absolute brand ambassador for example, your company. So we've spoke from the heart mm. about Martin's company and who the team are and where the office is and what the view is like and how flexible he is. Mm. So we've matched these two together it looks like we've just presented you with a person but actually there's hours and hours of legwork before that a candidate doesn't walk in the door and we say right go to trans 2 tomorrow for interview we might have been speaking to this candidate for months years um we yeah. know what their drivers are so the idea is we've done the job properly before and done the proper legwork and we've done our bit for you and our bit for them and we know you both well enough to go that's great. And we're not just ringing on week eight and going, will you pay the bill? And running away. You know, we know you'll pay the bill because we know you're confident because we've been ringing and checking in and it's there. Um, and the eight week rebate period is, is really not pulled upon that often. Yeah, that's great. It's great. And the, and, the, and the stats should speak for themselves. So the last thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to ask for a couple of tips to organ, for organisations on once uh, you have a candidate arrive on day one, maybe three tips from you, Emily, on what you must get right in order to try and give that candidate the best 
possible opportunity of thriving and staying in your organization. But before we come to that, um, aftercare, right? One of the things, and it's not even aftercare, but one of the thing, other things I've been impressed with you about is Dave was placed two years ago. Now, we're a small organization really at Trans2, so we've never had a need to yet to go and recruit somebody else. I'm not saying I won't in the future, and if I do, you'll be the first place I come without a shadow of a doubt. But what that hasn't deterred you. You've not just gone, oh, Martin's not going to place any more candidates with him, so we're not going to bother with transfer anymore. We've had our fee. You've just subtly kept in touch. We get a Christmas gift every Christmas. Dave gets an anniversary gift for congratulating him on completing year one, year two. Um, and you've just always kept yourselves very subtly in our mind's eye. And I, and I like that. Hence the reason you're on this podcast yeah, today, yeah. right? So you don't just stop there. You do believe in whether we're actively paying money to you over a period of time or searching for candidates with you. It's not just like I'm not going to focus on them anymore. You do go above and beyond to keep the relationship going. And I liked that. Yeah, we absolutely do. And that's one thing we really thrive on in our branch. I've got longevity within my team. Between us, we've never worked for another recruiter. We have no interest in working for another recruiter. It's the office angels way. It's the team hall, team Emily way. We've all got the same morals and ethics. And the town that we're in is a small place and, and we want to build relationships and, and work with people and we work ethically and, and we do it right. And yeah, Dave is happy and we come and see him and bring his anniversary gifts and it's nice to see you guys and one day you may use us again. Yeah. And if you don't, you know plenty of people, Martin, that if anyone ever asked you, it's just that kind of light touch that we we really do. And there is no pressure to say, come on, do you need someone else? Do you need someone else? Because we know the size of your organisation and we know you're happy with what you've got. But we soon get forgotten if we're not just there lightly in the background. Absolutely. So to finish this podcast, Emily, because I could talk to you all day long about it. Um, one of the biggest things that we have to understand and that organizations listening to this have to understand is that the recruiter's job is a big job. They've got to earn the money. They've got to earn their fee. They've got to do all of the screening process. They've got to find the right person as much as the right skills and experience and, and, and give you a candidate that will stand the greatest chance of thriving in the role in your organization. However, there is a lot of ownership on your side of the fence as well. Absolutely. And, and it can be very quickly undone. And I believe that the, we, we've done some research on this, Emily, and in our Hiring Great Talent Toolkit on the Hub, you can find this, you know, the top five reasons that employee employees leave organizations within the first 12 months, number one is onboarding. Yeah. The number one reason was in those early weeks and months, there were almost zero onboarding. They didn't get a chance to establish rapport, feel comfortable, have a clear directive, clear objectives, any training, any equipment, all of this stuff that gets somebody off to a great start. And once a human being sows the seed in the head early doors that this is not for me, they will do almost anything to justify why they are right. Yeah. So, so it's downhill from there. So... What are your biggest observations? Because you've probably seen many organizations where you get frustrated that you place a candidate and it doesn't work out and you can see why. What do organizations, hiring managers have to consider when the hard work's done and the candidate's about to enter the organization? I think also before the onboarding, it's the pre-onboarding as well. So okay. some people's process of even applying for a job is so complicated. It's a portal, it's send your application, it's so faceless that sometimes these things can put people off or the response of coming back to people after an interview. Oh, well, they actually took three weeks to come back to me anyway. Yeah. And you, you can't lose good people in this market. If you see someone and you like them, you need to keep them engaged and warm. So it, 
these kind of inklings that might not seem important once you get them on board, but then if they start having a doubt in the first week or so, then, well, they did take a few weeks to get back to me. I did think at the time that wasn't the type of person I wanted to work for, or they told me they wanted mm. to see five more people after me. So you're making, a, you're making an impression. We always say you're making an impression from the minute they meet you, but you're making an impression prior to that in terms of your processes, the application process, you know, all of it is that first impression. People that, get frustrated yeah. with having to do something faceless online. Like when we have to ring a customer service department and you're speaking to a computer, that's how people feel. And you're like we say, the person is the most important thing within your business and you're not even getting to know them straight away. It's a it's a form. And in, and in the digital world, don't get me wrong, the initial application online is fine, but it's got to very swiftly follow with some human interaction. Absolutely. Call, some, you know, first step, face to face, whatever it might be. And feedback if you're not giving people feedback again even if you're not employing that person it's not giving your brand the best reputation because you're then known for not even replying to people but with regards to the onboarding if you can get organized before someone starts a team drink a team coffee come in and have a bit of pizza with us the week before you start that come and see your teammates before monday morning before that whole nervous oh who are they what are they like am i going to get on with them that's absolutely spot on, which we always suggest before someone starts, we always get them to go the week before and go meet them, even if it's a case of filling out some forms and this is where you're going to sit. That really counts for Really a lot. helps. It just settles the nerves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a massive, you know, it's one of the biggest things you do in your life is start a new job. It's so important. So to warm them up before they start, if you can do that and get a team gathering and uh, assign them a buddy if your business is yeah. big enough and you yeah. need someone, make sure you show them where the coffee machine is and mm. where's your computer. This is the IT number. Where's the printer? The stuff we absolutely take for granted is the stuff that people don't get told and then ring us on day three in tears because they haven't been shown anything. And with a minute left, I just want to sort of um, just build upon that very quickly for 20 seconds. You know, when anybody, we're a small company, but when anybody's ever started here, they arrive on day one, they've got their PC, their phone, the welcome card, uh, their business cards. Yeah. We've already pre-ordered the business cards and they they open up their email. They have one email in their inbox, which is from me, Lovely. one from me with yeah. a full welcome yeah. and their itinerary for the first week. Which is why nobody leaves you and you don't exactly. need to draw our remake. Exactly. So, so. With 30 seconds left, Emily, I could speak to you all day. I think there's some real eye-opening practical tips in there. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. And again, I mean it sincerely. The next time I need a recruitment partner, there'll be nowhere else I go because you've been fantastic for us. Brilliant. And I'll make sure it's not 10 grand. Exactly. <laughs> Emily Pennock, thank you very much. Cheers, Martin. And we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.